Hello, this is Dr. David Friedman, host of To Your Good Health Radio, and this episode is being brought to you by Carnivora. Over the years, I've interviewed health experts that have shared the importance of doing a full body detox, everything from detoxifying the gut, the liver, the kidney, to the gallbladder. Well, today is my first show that focuses solely on detoxifying our most important organ, the brain. Joining us is Dr. David Perlmutter and his son, Dr. Austin Perlmutter, authors of the New York Times bestselling book, Brainwash. They will be sharing how our brain is being manipulated, resulting in behaviors that leave us more lonely, anxious, depressed, distrustful, sick, and overweight. If you want clearer thinking, healthier habits, and lasting happiness, don't go anywhere. It all starts now. It's To Your Good Health Radio with number one best-selling author and renowned wellness expert, Dr. David Friedman, changing lives just for the health of it. Joining us is a father and son dynamic duo, Dr. David Perlmutter and his son, Dr. Austin Perlmutter. David is a board-certified neurologist and four times New York Times, actually five times. I got to change that. His new book just hit the New York Times. That's fantastic. He serves on the board of directors and is a fellow of the American College of Nutrition. He's been interviewed on many nationally syndicated radio and television programs, including 2020, Larry King Live, CNN, Fox News, and The Today Show, The Oprah Show and the Dr. Oz Show. His books have been published in 34 languages and includes the number one New York Times bestseller, Grain Brain, and also joining his, his son, Austin, a board-certified internal medical physician. He's written articles for Mind, Body, Green, and Psychology Today. His academic focus is on understanding the decision-making process and how it's influenced by internal and external factors and how it changes our health and illness outcomes. Together, they have co-authored an amazing new book. It's called Brainwash. Welcome to the show. Delighted to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, it's great. Now, David, last time you were on the show, we talked about the dark side of grains. What inspired this new book focusing on fixing the dark side of brains? Uh, I guess the dark side is is uh, a little aggressive sounding, but, you know, we, we're all about <laughs> kind of offloading the threats to our health. And right. what Austin and I really discovered uh, in preparing the manuscript for this book as we were researching just the degree of influence that our modern society has in terms of changing the the basic wiring of our brain and most importantly uh, in terms of health issues vis-a-vis you know our program together today right. uh, the decisions that we make at, that relate to things that have to do with our health i mean we are familiar with uh, food choices being important for health. You've written about that so extensively. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and other lifestyle factors, whether it's sleep, exercise, nature exposure, meditation. But what was discovered as we prepared this book is that these lifestyle choices are very, very influential in terms of how we make our decisions. Not what those decisions are, but the actual process of making decisions, whether we are impulsive and don't think our actions through, or that we think about what we're about to do, our decisions, and make more thoughtful decisions that really plan on a better future. Great. You know, I was so happy to see that you guys cover the digital media in your book and how it affects the brain. I treat a lot of people with text neck, a condition from people, you know, they get from looking down for long periods on their smartphones. And Austin, share with us, how does texting and social media and gaming affect the health of the brain? 
Yeah, well, I think we live in this world where we have access to an unbelievable range of digital technology, and it provides us incredible benefit. I mean, you think about we're only able to communicate right now across the country because of these digital technologies. But we're certainly seeing that these things can get the better of us. And unfortunately, we're seeing that the way that a lot of these new technologies are designed is actually set up to hijack our reward circuitry in our brain and activate the part of the brain, the amygdala, that is the stress center. And when that happens, it shifts our thinking away from long-term planning and really the things that lead us to the stuff we care about, long-term health, long-term happiness, and towards this moment-to-moment instant gratification model. And so what you see is with even texting, but things like email and social media notifications, those pings are going to activate your reward circuit and keep you craving that next ping. Because those rewards are what's called variable, it's a variable ratio schedule, meaning that occasionally you get a good reward, other times you don't, you really can't stop yourself from consistently trying to get that next fix. And, I mean, to be fair, you could argue maybe that isn't the end of the world. Um, We would say that the big problem there is that it's changing your brain, yes, but also it's taking you away from the more meaningful behaviors. It's taking you away from that time you might otherwise have spent with your family, with your friends, with uh, getting out into nature and going to the gym and preparing healthy foods. So it is certainly changing our brains. We are learning how that is happening. We have some early literature to suggest that there are structural changes in the brain with people who use certain technologies like social media excessively. But the bottom line is we know it's changing our reward systems, and most importantly, we know it's taking us away from the things that are linked to long-term wellness. Right. You bring such a good point up. You know, when I was a kid and I was bad, I got grounded and I got sent to my room. Nowadays, kids are getting grounded and sent outside. (laughs) No, I want to be in my room with my computer. (laughs) It's really changed. We don't go out enough. We don't get fresh air, and that's got to affect our brain. And like you said, it affects our ability to to make friends. And, you know, sports now, instead of playing them out and active, we're playing it on on a gaming board. I mean, it's it's, it's getting so That's so true. And, uh, you know, David, I I have to say that um, there are so many people, I'm certain the people who are listening to this podcast right now, who are uh, buying the books, all the great books, watching the programs, uh, et cetera. You know, you've written a wonderful book, Food Sanity, terrific book. But these books are all useless unless you're able to act on the information, unless you actually make the choices to engage this information. And that's what this book is all about. It's about the bridge then between information and action. So... Again, we're bombarded with wonderful information yeah. about meditation and getting outside and putting down our phones. Uh, and, and yet, how many of us can actually do it? Because our choice mechanism, our decision-making mechanism, is what is being so disrupted by modern society, by the foods that we eat being pro-inflammatory, by our engagement with social media, by our lack of restorative sleep. So many uh, influences that we identify early on in the book, basically we call them out so that people then become aware of the fact that, well, this isn't just you know, somebody trying to get me to, to buy this product because a pop-up ad happened to appear while I was uh, looking at social media. This is an ongoing effort to absolutely sabotage your decision-making that transcends that moment. It's more than just getting you to buy that product at that moment. This is actively 
rewiring your brain for wow. impulsivity and away from more measured decision-making and away from that part of the brain that also is involved in, in being empathetic towards other people, empathetic towards your future self, and even empathetic for the planet. Yeah, that's a topic that you do discuss in the book, the importance of empathy. I've not seen that really stressed. Share why that's so important. Go a little further in that. What are we, uh, well, yeah. let me take that as far as it possibly can go. Uh, there was a recent article in the news about the doomsday clock moving to 100 seconds to midnight, which is, in essence, the closest that the scientists say we've ever been to these cataclysmic events, either nuclear war or climate change, causing the, the extinction of the human race. And so those two things may seem somewhat dissimilar, but in each case, those are the result of an absence of empathy. If you think about what would happen in the, in the case of the nuclear war, it's hard to feel a ton of compassion towards another country when you're launching a missile at them. In a similar way, it's hard to care about the fate of the Earth and the climate um, and also be using up all of our resources and not be worried about climate change. So, um, in essence, empathy at the highest levels uh, is really essential to the ongoing success of the human race. Now, at a, a, a more individual-based level, we know that empathy and compassion, these are the tools we need to have good, strong relationships with the people we care about. And as we talk about in Brainwash, our relationships with people are absolutely essential to our good health and to our happiness. We know that people who... Um, have strong attachment to their partner, do better in their lives in that they live longer, they have lower rates of diseases, and even have better brain health. And we say so much about the modern world pushing us away from empathy and kind of enforcing this individualistic success model, and even worse, enforcing this idea or creating this idea of narcissism, and that it's a good thing to really build up the ego. So again, at a, at a personal level, we know that empathy is crucial to allowing us to have relationships with other people. And to take that one step further, you know, we've got to have a relationship with ourselves. We've got to have self-empathy for not just ourselves in the moment, but our future selves. We need to be looking out for the us that's going to wake up tomorrow. And that means maybe going to bed a little bit earlier so that tomorrow me doesn't wake up tired, angry, and emotionally reactive. So again, empathy, it's such a fundamental concept and it's something that we feel has been increasingly lost in the modern world. And there's actually good research by Dr. Sarah Conrath suggesting that in college students, levels of empathy have gone down almost 50% over the last few decades. Wow. And you mentioned a self-empathy. I want to stress that doesn't mean take more selfies, folks. That's <laughs> not what he means. <laughs> oh, Dr. Perlmutter said take more selfies. I got to love myself. No, no, that's not what he means. <laughs> no, so. he didn't. I'm too. <laughs> Let me ask you, there's a lot of focus now, and it's really a neat topic, the gut-brain connection, and research is really showing our gut can affect everything from our mood, our memory, and even our personality. Share with the listeners how our gut microbiota and brain are connected. Well, that's a, a, a great question, you know, because it is really something that's, that's still to this day uh, taking uh, you know, a lot of people have uh, a tough time getting their arms around it. The idea that these microbes swimming around in our intestines are influencing our memory, our mood, our gene expression, our level of inflammation, the provision of various B vitamins in our bodies, the way that we metabolize glucose, how much fat we make, our energy levels, you name it. And it, you know, it's it's kind of very humbling to be thinking that 
things that you can't see with your naked eye are having that much of an impact on all events related to health and how you perceive the world around you. But it's true. That's what the, the science is revealing. Last month, I, we, I published, I was the editor-in-chief of a book, a compilation of uh, 12 chapters from really the top researchers in America looking at this relationship and the depth that these uh, researchers were able to explore and reveal this connection was beyond anything I had expected. You know, as the chapters started to come in, I, it was my jaw would drop when I would read about what was being explored now and what the future mm-hmm. would hold. So, so we get the fact that our brain health and function is very much influenced by the health and function of the gut. That said, specifically the microbes, that said, the most powerful influence then on the health and function of our gut microbes are our dietary choices. So that strongly then provides the the bridge, connects these important dots between what we eat and the function and destiny of our brains tomorrow through the lens of, as you well mentioned, the gut bacteria. So, you know, the, the... thing that really makes a good brain go bad uh, mostly is inflammation. And you've mm-hmm. talked about it a lot yeah. uh, in your books and also on your podcast about how inflammation is underlying our chronic degenerative conditions, Alzheimer's, heart disease, diabetes, you name it. But what we reveal in Brainwash is the central role of inflammation in disconnecting us from that part of the brain to make better decisions, the prefrontal cortex. We call this disconnection syndrome, where the adult basically has left the room and other brain areas like the amygdala become the, are in charge. You know, the 8- and the 10-year-old are now in charge of running the house. Right. How's that going to work out? We don't know. So that is the, the central piece of this disconnection, where we disconnect from the influence of this gift that we have, the prefrontal cortex, and inflammation plays such an important role. And that's uh, one of the reasons that we can enhance our disconnection when we don't get a good night's rest, or we're eating pro-inflammatory foods, or we decide not to exercise, or we are facing a life that is constantly one of stress because we haven't made uh, important changes to our lives to offload stress. So, the, the point is that we can choose moment to moment whether we engage and strengthen our connection to the adult in the room, that prefrontal cortex, or we are at the mercy of our modern society, be it by our online experiences, by the foods we're eating, by the sense we don't need to sleep very much, and locking into behaving more from a primitive brain behavior, a more impulsive behavior that does nothing more than foster bad decisions that increase this inflammation and the disconnection. Yeah, well said. Before we continue, I want to remind everyone that this episode is being brought to you by Carnivora. In 1985, former U.S. President Ronald Reagan wanted something to strengthen his immune system. And having therapies from around the world at his disposal, he chose Carnivora, a nutritional powerhouse made from extracts of the Venus flytrap. Carnivora contains 17 naturally occurring compounds that helps lower inflammation and support a healthy immune system. 
It's the product that I take daily to keep my immune system at its optimal level. You know, being bombarded every day with all these chemicals and free radicals and pesticides, it can wreak havoc on our immune system. Even daily stress can lower our body's ability to combat disease. If you want to decrease internal inflammation and boost your immune system, order Carnivora today at Carnivora.com. Say goodbye to internal inflammation, boost your immune system, and start living the healthy life that you deserve. Carnivora.com. You know, I got sick a couple years ago from a perfluorinated chemical that DuPont dumped into my city's water. Mm. It's been all over the news. I witnessed firsthand how the gut affects the brain. I ended up with severe colitis. I couldn't remember the name of my office manager. I forgot my phone number, forgot my social security number. I mean, my, it was, I felt it. It was, what's this gut have to do with my memory? But it's connected. And a lot of people suffer from brain fog and memory issues from exposed to chemicals in our food and water. Is there anything they can do to detoxify? Well, uh, for sure. Uh, but I, I would say that, you know, uh, the yellow emperor in the 4th century BCE, stated that prevention is the ultimate principle of wisdom. To cure a disease after it has manifest is like digging a well when one feels thirsty or forging weapons when the war has already begun. That said, sure, there are things we can do to detox. We could talk about that. But I think prevention on the front end is far more important, and that is buying more organically, uh, recognizing that maybe your lawn man is, is spraying your uh, your flower right. beds every week uh, with uh, glyphosate, uh, recognizing the potential threats of things like uh, genetically modified foods in terms of their uh, glyphosate co- components, looking at the threats that uh, certain antibiotics might uh, pose to you if you're eating uh, antibiotic-laden meat, for example. A wonderful study came out from Australia last year that really made it clear that, by and large, the antibiotics that are given to cattle, which represents a large share of antibiotic usage here in America, do end up in the, the, the meat, and that is then translated into, into us who eat that food. So I think prevention is actually extremely important. Uh, what we talk about in Brainwash are the ways to detoxify from some of the perhaps less recognized toxins in our environment, not the least of which uh, are the toxic aspects of what goes on when we are in front of our screens. We recognize that first, we as Americans spend over six hours a day in front of our screens, which is threatening in and of itself. But what we make the reader very aware of, uh, and we call out the aggressive ways that your attention is being manipulated, that your, uh, where you visit online is being mined to target you in the future with clickbait and ads to direct Jeez. you to do things that may be interesting to you. And that is a, a, virtually a toxin that threatens your brain. It threatens your brain's wiring. And most importantly, it threatens to increase disconnection syndrome. So how do we offload that? And maybe, Austin, you want to jump in on what do we do about our digital experiences? For sure. And again, such a relevant point is that if we're trying to build the best bodies and brains possible, then we've got to look at what is going into them. And yes, what we're eating and taking in from the environment, uh, as far as potentially chemicals on our foods or in the water supply, that does influence our brain and our body. But that the things that come in through our eyes and ears can be equally efficacious as far as rewiring our brains and changing our body physiology. 
So this is something that's become incredibly relevant in the modern day when, as my dad said, we are spending so much of our time consuming this digital media. And to be fair, we want to continue to consume digital media. It can be an immensely powerful way of learning about the world. And when we were doing our research for this book, we were spending hours a day combing through these studies from countries around the world, and it wouldn't have been possible unless there were these amazing databases that we could access online. But we need to have a plan when we start engaging with the digital world. And for that, my father and I developed this acronym. It's a tool called the Test of Time. And it spells out T-I-M-E. So T is for time limited or time restricted. The idea being it is so easy to lose hours of our day in these black holes of digital experience. And so if we set the time, and what I like to do is actually set a timer for 5, 10, 15 minutes, then it's going to limit how much time you spend on there. I is for intentional, meaning when you go into a digital environment, you should have a plan, whether that's to connect with your cousin on Facebook or to watch a documentary on Netflix. That's a good thing, but where we lose ourselves is when we just start scrolling through social media or flipping through Netflix to see if there's something interesting on or allowing YouTube to autoplay videos. So you've got to make sure it's intentional. And then M is for mindful meaning that we need to be aware of how our digital technology is affecting us. If you're sitting there on the couch watching the news and you just experience that whole thing and then you leave watching the news feeling really angry, that wasn't a mindful experience versus if you're thinking about how is this affecting me in the moment. You're watching whatever breaking news is happening on the TV and you're feeling yourself start to develop some anger symptoms. Well, that's now being mindful, and then you can make changes such that you're no longer being negatively affected. Maybe it's time to turn off the news at that point. And then E is for enriching, and this probably is the most important part of this whole thing, and that is you want to be consuming media that enriches your life, that is a net benefit to your quality of life. And so what I like to do is, after I've consumed digital media of whatever sort, that's when you pause and say, was that a net benefit to me? Now, if the answer Mm -hmm. is no, and it very well might be, that's the time to then reflect on the experience and set yourself up for success next time to make those changes so that next time you're on the TV, the computer, the tablet, the smartphone, you're making sure that you are using that digital media and it's not using you. Yeah, great, great points. I love that that that, uh, that examples there. Uh, you know, I read read your books, fantastic. It blew my mind, pun intended. I loved it. I think it's, a, it's such a needed place in this in this world. It's it's so unique, and I see so many books come my way, and this is like, wow, this is really unique. And one thing you mentioned is Austin is you know get, get in touch with nature. I love that, and you, you talk yeah. about how you're li- you know how you felt a safe haven in the middle of the forest, and that's so important. Share just a little bit by how we know some people don't even know what a forest is anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you're dead on. I mean, the statistics would say that Americans spend 87% of their day inside and another 6% of their day in enclosed vehicles, which means there's not a lot of time left for experiencing the great outdoors in any sense. Um, I want to say that nature is this uh, blossoming new area of research that has all these health benefits we never expected, and that is true. But The bottom line is we know that nature is good for us. There's really no one going out for a walk in the forest that comes back saying, wow, I wish I would have stayed inside, or that beautiful mountain is okay, but, you know, I wish I would have answered a couple more emails. We know it's great for our, our health, both physical and mental health. But as we describe in the book, and as I've certainly experienced firsthand, we now know that nature is a anti-stress tool. 
We now know that nature helps lower inflammation in our bodies and that it lowers our sympathetic nervous system activation. And so some of this is probably because it gets us out of urban environments, which by their very nature appear to be stressful. But it's beyond that. When you look at studies where they expose people to just a photograph of nature, you see these same benefits. When you look at studies where they have people smell some of the essential oils that come from, for example, the cedar tree, you see some of these same benefits. So it's not just about getting outside of your urban environment. It's that there are very real effects on our physiology that come from exposure to these natural elements. And I, you know, I have lots of friends in my life who live in New York City who are all about productivity and making sure that they are as effective as they possibly can be at their job. And so to tell them, hey, you should try to get outside a little bit more, they say, no, I need to be in my office doing my work. That's how I'm going to get ahead. And what I've been telling them is two major things. One is going out into nature hones your attention. Uh, it's something called right. attention restoration theory, where being out in nature or being exposed to nature can help you to maintain focus on whatever it is you want to do. So if you're trying to be productive at work, this is an intervention for that. The other big thing is that nature exposure appears to uh, increase our creativity. It makes us more able to generate new ideas. So again, thinking through what do you want to bring on board when you're at that office? Well, being creative is an amazing asset to enable you to do a good job at work. So there's really no one who I don't think would benefit from some more nature experience. And again, it doesn't have to be a five-day hiking trip. It can be as simple as going outside for 20 minutes uh, in an urban environment even, or even as simple as bringing a, a plant into your house, into your office, or I mean, it comes to you could even put some essential oils in your home or you could even get a picture of nature. It's so basic, but this yeah. is very much an intervention to improve your physical and mental health. Yeah, and let's stress that doesn't mean just get a download picture to your desktop. It's, oh, there's my nature. <laughs> Sometimes you got to go out and enjoy the real thing. I could hear, see, I know how people think they hear that one little thing of yours. Oh, he said I could download a picture. That means I don't have to go outside. They only hear what they well, you know selective what? hearing. It, it, Sometimes little uh, interventions have a big uh, downstream effect. And just to get people to reconnect, you know, William Shakespeare told us that one touch of nature makes the whole world kin. And I think, you know, if there's one thing we share, it's this connection with nature, you know. And uh, so it's a way of reconnecting. And I would say fundamentally that's what this book is about. It's about reconnecting to each other, reconnecting to ourselves, being able to make better decisions, reconnecting to allowing our, you know, the genome, allowing our genes to express themselves in a positive health-promoting way based upon all of these influences that we know ex uh, change gene expression. So it's all about reconnection. And in, the, and in this day of polarization where people are digging their feet and saying that, you know, my political party is the right one, yours is the wrong one, right. uh, or your religion is wrong, mine is right, whatever it may be, we, we need to move past that and develop the ability, which is called empathy, in this case cognitive empathy, mm -hmm. to be with another person's perspective. Try that on. See how that feels. And instead of just rejecting it out of hand because they belong to a certain organization, and you never get to experience that because you're on your social media site that only has to do with catering to your ideology. Yeah. So, I'm curious, David, uh, was there any aha moments that you discovered while researching for brainwash, something that kind of made your mouth drop? I think that, yes. Uh, and and um, 
I would say that it was the understanding that there was so much about this prefrontal cortex that was positive that we were able to characterize in the context of seeing what's going on wrong around us, uh, how this decision-making process is front and center in terms of the most challenging health issues of our time. Uh, the number one cause of death right now are the chronic degenerative conditions globally, and how these are by and large related to making bad choices. That relates back to the prefrontal cortex. How we're seeing this incredible polarization of, of societies against others, that relates to disconnection from the prefrontal cortex. How the world has become so focused on me as uh, being narcissistic, only interested in myself, and that is a consequence of distancing ourselves or disengaging the prefrontal cortex. Uh, you know, people not thinking about tomorrow and the future as it relates, for example, to the environment. And that is, uh, has to do with the prefrontal cortex. So I think for me, uh, the, the breathtaking part was just how much uh, what we are talking about in Brainwash, how big a net it really throws in terms of the most important issues of our time, our health, our ability to get along, and how we plan for the future of the planet. Wow, so true. I just interviewed world-renowned psychiatrist Dr. Daniel Amen, and he brought up a good point. He said mental illness is the smoke, but the cause of the fire can have many factors. It could be chemical fire, electrical fire, arson, and brainwash does this magnificent job of addressing what's cause, causing our body's internal fire, and I think that's so great. Let me ask you this. What role does insufficient sleep have on the health of our brain? What kind of fire is that creating yeah, another phenomenal question. Um, I'd say that that was one of the areas of research that was most surprising to me going into this whole process. Um, you know, when I was in medical training, we kind of looked at sleep as uh, something you pick up if and when you can. And mm -hmm. sure, you'd want to get home and get a couple of hours, but it came after you got whatever hospital tasks were necessary done. And so we'd go sometimes for a full night of sleep deprivation and then into the next day of work. But what does that actually do to the brain? Well, something we talk about in Brainwash is even one night of sleep deprivation, basically the exact thing that I underwent during my training, leads us to become more emotionally reactive. It activates the amygdala in response to these emotional stressors. And again, that is so critical to understand. It means if you want to go out into the world and be successful, whether that's in business or in your relationships, you can't be flying off the handle and becoming angry when somebody says some things that you perceive as slightly rude, um, you can't be yelling at your friends and family members because you find anything they say offensive. And one night of sleep deprivation is going to increase the chances that that happens. So it was starting from that place, which is that sleep is essential for our emotional regulation, but then expanding that a bit further and then understanding that sleep is essential in allowing us to, in general, be less impulsive and allowing us to feel less lonely and have better relationships with other people, that sleep seems to be essential in providing a literal brainwash. And by that, we're talking about the glymphatic system, something we discuss in the book, this new science over the last couple of years that shows how the brain has this clearance system, this drainage system that clears out all the gunk from the day, the metabolic waste, and that is especially active during that deep non-REM sleep in that first half of the night primarily. So we're learning that sleep is 
certainly not downtime. It's uptime. It's absolutely essential to your brain function. And because of that, it is absolutely necessary to get a good night's sleep if you want to make good decisions, have strong relationships, and be able to navigate the world successfully. Yeah, and it kind of goes full circle back to what we talked about with all the cell phones and the electronics and the games. People do that before bed. Some people actually oh, just fall asleep with their cell phone right by their face. <laughs> that can't be good. It's, it's not just before bed. It's after bed, too. It's 79% of American adults that reach for their phone in the first 15 minutes after waking up in the morning. Yeah. And that percentage increases to the high 80s when you look at younger people. I mean, we are, huh. in essence, tethered to our phones from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep. And one of the big issues with these devices turns out to be the blue light exposure that we're getting before bed, which throws off our melatonin production and makes it harder for us to get a good night's sleep. Wow, that's so good. We got to talk about diet. Obviously, the Perlmutter name is synonymous with avoiding grains. What do you recommend we add to our diet to help our mind function at its optimal level? What should we reach for? Good question. So, you know, our, our, the world of, of dietary recommendations is all about thou shalt not. Right. <laughs> and you, you <laughs> phrase that uh, in a very positive way. What can we add? And I think that uh, we should start with the premise that we want to reduce inflammation. That's our goal. So the things that we like to have in the diet that help us with reducing inflammation are good types of fat. Who knew? Uh, especially the omega-3s, uh, the, the types of, of fat that would come from nuts and seeds and grass-fed beef if you're a meat eater, and certainly things like avocado and olive oil. Fat, very important. The other thing that you want to add uh, in, in, as it relates to this process of inflammation is uh, are foods that are rich in dietary fiber. And I, you know, I wish that were a macronutrient, but it is, by definition, a carbohydrate. Nonetheless, if that were a macronutrient, because it has macro importance, uh, I think people would pay more attention to it. Uh, the American diet is incredibly low uh, in dietary fiber. You know, average American gets 8 to 10 grams of fiber a day on a good day. We need dietary fiber. You know, we used to think just to, to bulk out the, the stool, but we recognize now its fundamental importance in nurturing the gut bacteria. That's why we need uh, lots of good dietary fiber. It's been estimated that uh, our ancestors and even in uh, some primitive uh, peoples living today, that they may consume north of 100 grams of dietary fiber on a daily basis. We need that dietary fiber Again, to nurture the gut bacteria, as per our earlier discussion, because of the fundamental role that these bacteria play in our health and, of course, the fundamental role that the bacteria play in reducing inflammation within our bodies. So I, I would say those are the keys. Lots of dietary fiber and welcome good kinds of fats uh, back to the table. I think moving forward... Uh, that we probably want to cut back on the amount of protein that we are consuming. I think, you know, as we look at the most recent data, I think Americans, by and large, eat too much protein. I think, uh, you know, certainly the refined carbohydrates, the ultra-processed foods, and sugar of any kind needs to be really uh, questioned in terms of being anywhere even near the plate or near the glass, for that matter. So uh, the main things to look for are color, diversity on the plate, uh, good levels of healthy fat and certainly food that's rich in fiber. Great. You offer some great brain-boosting recipes in this great book of yours. Do you have a favorite? Is there a particular one that you were excited to put in the book? 
Well, I, I would. I, I don't know what you're going to say, Austin, but I have to go with the uh, jicama slaw. And I, I've always loved coleslaw. I don't know if it reminds me of being on a, a picnic or some kind of uh-huh. outdoor event on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, but, you know, minus the hot dogs and buns and all the rest of the stuff and soft drinks. But I love the coleslaw part. So now having jicama, jicama is another name for Mexican yam, and it's really one of the most... Uh, powerful natural sources of, of dietary fiber, and specifically prebiotic fiber that nurtures the gut bacteria. So I love it uh, because I love how it tastes, but I also think it's good for me. So I'm satisfying right. uh, both sides of the coin on that one. What about you, Austin? You got one favorite? Anything that you love? Uh, you know, I've been feeling really strongly about the Stone Age bread. It's, it's in essence like a paleo-type bread in that it doesn't have any grains in it, and it's filled with healthy fat and good protein, and very straightforward to make. You're basically just combining a bunch of seeds and nuts and a few eggs and olive oil, and you put it into the oven, and then you can use this kind of like you would any bread. You can use it for avocado toast. You can use it even to make sandwiches. It's wonderful as breakfast. Uh, So it's incredibly versatile, but it's so nice to have something that you know is good for you. That's awesome. So, David, before we leave, I want to find out, how's your experience been working with your son and passing along the torch for a new generation? Uh, well, i got to say, it's, it's not passing along the torch. I mean, we're both carrying this torch at the same time, which is really, uh-huh. you know, the fundamental uh, of the book is connection. And we have spent two years, uh, really, uh, collaborating and as such being very, very closely connected, working through every Every word on every page, uh, left, right, and center, you know, time and time again, the messaging and uh, the research that went into you know, the hundreds and hundreds of research studies that we reviewed uh, for this book. And it's been, you know, we've always liked to do stuff together, whether it's playing frisbee golf or fishing and diving, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And now to work collaboratively on a, uh, a, a program that is going to, we believe, bring a lot of benefit to a lot of people, you know, with a, a real positive outcome. It's been, you know, one of the highlights of my entire life. Oh, fantastic. Well, I want to thank both of you for taking time out, out of your busy schedule to be with us today. I just, like I said, just finished reading Brainwash. Highly recommend anyone with a brain get a copy of this mind-changing book. It's something that belongs in your, your library. You want to read this from cover to cover. It's available everywhere books are sold, or you can go to brainwashbook.com and be sure and sign up for their free email list so you can stay up to date with all the latest in brain and gut health, and you can follow them on Instagram at David Perlmutter and Austin Perlmutter on Twitter, Austin Pearl MD and David Perlmutter. From my daily social media post, you can follow me at Dr. David Friedman on Instagram at Dr. D. Friedman. If you heard something today that would benefit somebody you know, send them a link to this podcast. It's available at toyougoodhealthradio.com and radiomd.com and peruse our podcast library. Share these segments with friends, family, coworkers, and on social media. This information is too important to keep to yourself. Sharing is caring. You can also subscribe to future podcasts at iHeartRadio and iTunes. More to come. Stay tuned and stay well.